0: Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I want to welcome you today. It is great to be with you, especially if you're joining us for the first time or if you're joining us online. We're glad you're here. I'm excited about our new series entitled Live Free. We're going to be walking through the New Testament book of Galatians. Woo! Unpacking this important letter that Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. Now, what do you think it means to live free? What comes to mind? Maybe a safe place to start is the dictionary. So let's ask Webster here. He says that freedom, or he, (laughs) he says that freedom is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved or the absence of coercion or constraint in choice or action. And that last part we hear a lot in today's culture, don't we? Things like freedom of choice or you do you (laughs) or find your own truth. Right, Freedom today is seen as running my life without any constraints from anyone or anything, right? To do whatever the heck you want. This is what is called the radical redefinition of freedom in the West. And it is a phenomenon that has filtered throughout our culture since the Enlightenment. From the classical understanding of freedom as the power to pursue what is good... To today, where it means to throw off any form of external authority. The reality is, what people don't realize is that you're not trading the authority of, I don't know, fill in the blank, the government, your parents, (laughs) the church, even scripture or Christian orthodoxy for no authority. You're just trading that authority for a different authority, a postmodernist or a larger cultural authority, or really your own self as the source of authority that you think is authentically who you are, but actually was handed to you by your professor or your high school teacher or your Twitter feed or Instagram or whatever choice of good news you're taking in on a daily basis. You can see how this redefinition of freedom creates a level of anarchy, not only in our world, but in ourselves. Ironically, this is actually what the New Testament calls slavery, and it's exactly the opposite of what we're being told freedom is. What people don't realize is that human beings are not just rational, objective selves that will just pick the good and do what is objectively right. We are emotionally and easily manipulated, are we not? We are tribal, desire-based creatures who are easily deceived and led astray by others or by our own brokenness and hurt. It is what the New Testament calls our flesh, the part of us that's bent in on itself. And it's been around since the fall, since Adam and Eve. You know, one of the main themes of Galatians is freedom. And Paul talks about it more than anyone else in the New Testament. And he talks about it the most in Galatians. For Paul, freedom is the ability to live in a way that is pleasing to God. To be free from bondage of sin and the the law and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Real freedom is the result of living life according to the gospel of Jesus. And this is what we'll see throughout Galatians. Think of Galatians 5.1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Pastor and theologian John Mark Comer defines freedom as the capacity to both want and pursue the good as defined by Jesus, as defined by Jesus. Freedom isn't just the desire, but the ability to become like Jesus. We're following Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually grow and become more like him. And and anyone here ever read the sci-fi novel, Dune, or watched yeah, at least the first season or episode? Frank Herbert actually says, "'Seek freedom and become captive to your desires. Seek discipline and find your liberty.'" And I love how Timothy Keller, who just recently actually passed away, puts it. He says, freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but the presence of right restrictions. Wow, put. You know, a great example of this is marriage. When we make a covenant with someone, think about it, that is a massive constraint, till death do us part (laughs) in sickness and in health. But that constraint is what actually sets us free from the slavery to our flesh, which again is just that desire to constantly just get what we want all the time and to treat other people really as objects, objects of our desire and self-gratification rather than objects of agape or self-giving love. Marriage is a good constraint that over decades of fidelity and lots of grace from Jesus sets us free to learn how to love like he loves. That's just one example. There is no other book in the Bible that talks more about freedom and more about how important it is that the gospel be at the very center of our lives. And that is not just for unbelievers it is not a set of basic doctrines which somebody enters how somebody enters the kingdom of god we often assume that once we're converted we don't need to hear or study or understand the gospel i'll be honest i'm kind of one of those i'm like we we've heard it a lot right boy doing this study already just for today i have been so convicted how little i understand about the gospel of god The gospel of Jesus and and how it really does transform us and lead us to freedom. But in Galatians, Paul outlines the truth of the gospel that it's essential to experiencing freedom in this Christian life. It's not only the way to enter the kingdom, it is the way to live as part of the kingdom of God. It is what it is the way that Christ transforms us, his people, his church, and our communities. What we're looking at today is, is really just the introduction. It's just the introduction, verses one through 12 of chapter one in Galatians, but it is packed with incredible truth about the gospel. And this is really great to go over. You know, It's a good reminder, but it also really matters today because all of us, religious or not, serious disciples of Jesus or even just nominal Christians, all of us base our lives on some kind of gospel, some kind of gospel, some kind of message of what life is actually about. It's where we put our hope for the present and for the future and to fulfill our deepest longings and desires. And the truth is, the truth is, that there is no other reality or truth that will set you free other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. All other ground is sinking sand, is it not? All other ground is sinking sand. So today, as we look at the beginning of Galatians, we will see not only the source of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, but also the importance of the gospel so that we don't fall into the same traps as the Galatians did. So before we dive in, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning. Lord Jesus, we just do that. We ask, Holy Spirit, come. Hmm. We want you to be glorified today. We want you to be lifted up in our hearts and in our minds Would you make yourself known to us by your spirit and through your word? Would you encourage us and remind us of the amazing truth of the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first, let's start by giving some background context before we dive into our passage. We have a map up here. If you can't read it, because those letters are pretty small, uh, it's the dark green little block of country right there, Galatia. Okay, this was the earliest letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's, one of the, it's the first letter he ever wrote uh, in the Bible. And he, we think he wrote it around 50 AD, but some scholars actually think it might have been even earlier than that, which means, if you think about it, it was about 15 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it would still have been fresh in people's minds this letter was to the churches in the province of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. That's what we're looking at there. These are churches that Paul would have planted himself and when he went on his missionary journeys. And this is the way he would have kept in touch with these churches, was through these letters, And these are letters to the people that he knew and people that he loved, and and they were new believers, and they had been set free by the gospel of Jesus. But, But then what happens is he finds out that these Jewish Christians called Judaizers start coming into these different cities and begin twisting and perverting the gospel message that Paul had originally taught them. So let's go ahead and dive into our passage today. We read this. In Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even when we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from a man nor was I taught it rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Mm. This is actually the longest opening in any of Paul's letters and usually if you know some of, if you've read some of Paul's letters in the Bible he usually starts out his letters in a really similar fashion <clears throat> except for this one. <laughs> we have an exception here there is no word Of encouragement. No thanks, no prayer in this intro. Instead, he gets right to the heart of the matter at hand, and he starts off simultaneously introducing and defending his position right in verse 1. He addresses not only the source of his apostleship, but the source of the gospel message, and that's our first point. And he says it again. He says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men, were by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And right out of the gate, he's declaring his authority as a capital A apostle chosen by God. Now, the only reason Paul would need to even state this is because Judaizers had been mounting, right, and a powerful attack against his authority as an apostle, trying to undermine the gospel that he preached. Now, is Paul just you know, really insecure dude? Is he, <laughs> is he really insecure about his calling here? Or is there something greater at stake? Is there something greater at stake? See, there are two essential qualifications to be a capital A apostle. First, an apostle must be uniquely called and commissioned by Jesus to represent him and speak his name. And An apostle must have seen Jesus physically resurrected from the dead, both of which clearly happened to Paul, which we'll get into more next week. Paul knows that if he is not called by God, if his authority is only man-made, then he has no right to say that this is the gospel, and only this is the gospel. He's saying that if my authority fails, then the gospels can be many. They can be many because Christ has not spoken through me. So it really matters. It really matters here. And then he goes on to defend the gospel message and the source of where it came from. And he says, the gospel came from what? Divine revelation and inspiration, not from human reasoning, not from human reasoning. He says in verses 11 and 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So here's the point that Paul is really driving home here and bookending this passage with these these claims is that the divine source of the gospel trumps any humanistic version you find in the world today. In fact, later he says any gospel other than the one he preached to them is no gospel at all, no gospel at all. So next, Paul lays out the heart of the gospel in verses three through five. Let's read that again. Grace and peace to you from God, our father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul greets his readers with this really common phrase, grace and peace. Think about it. Grace is actually the more Greek greeting and peace being more the Hebrew greeting or shalom. But this greeting has meaningful implications for the heart of the gospel. And in essence, the the gospel really is about Grace and peace, isn't it? Grace is the root of our salvation and peace is the fruit, is it not? And grace is what? Grace is God's unmerited free favor, his active presence in our lives, irrespective of any human merit or work. It's his loving kindness to the undeserving. And then peace or, or reconciliation means peace with God, peace with others, peace within, peace within. In these verses, we in short, I mean, really just short verses, we learn three really important truths about the gospel. And I want to highlight these real quick. The first one is who we are. Notice the words he uses here. He says he, he rescues us, which means we are helpless and we are lost. We're lost. Imagine you see a woman drowning. It does not help her at all if you just throw her a manual on how to swim. It's like here, dunk. I mean, that thing isn't even a good floating device. I mean, it won't save her at all, right? It won't save her at all. You don't throw her a teaching or something to do. You throw her a rope, right? (laughs) You throw her a rope. And Jesus is not so much a teacher as he is a rescuer. Amen? A rescuer. And he doesn't just throw us a rope, does he? He jumps in himself and he saves us at the cost of his own life, his own life. Christianity, in fact, is a rescue religion. It is the only one that says it can rescue us and that, it, that we need rescuing. Nothing in who we are and what we can do can save us. Now, what did Jesus do? Well, it says here that he gave himself for our sins. In verse four, he made a sacrifice which was substitutionary how we call it, in nature. And he did all we needed to do, but could not do. So that when he becomes our savior, we are absolutely free from penalty and condemnation, from guilt and shame. He takes it all and he deals with it on the cross. What the father did here, we actually read that God accepted the work that Christ did on our behalf by what? Raising him from the dead. And this was all done out of grace, according to the will of God, our father. We did not ask for rescue, (laughs) but God in his grace planned what we didn't even realize we needed. That's what he did for us. Paul's gospel is so clear that salvation from first to last is all God's doing. All God's doing. We see this message reiterated in the gospel that Jesus himself preached And we read it in Mark 1, 14 through 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming what? The good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now repent here, it it means to change your mind. To change your mind. And good news, well, this is what gospel. the gospel actually in Greek actually means. It's euangelion and it means good news. That's what the gospel is. It's where we get the English word like evangelism or evangelical. And contrary to what you might think, it wasn't actually a religious word in the first century. It was actually a political word. It was a political word. To evangelize was something that uh, actually a government official would do or a government employee would do, not a religious person, <clears throat> to preach the gospel was to bring the good news to the Roman Empire about some kind of you know, momentous event, such as an enthronement or a new emperor or a victory in a war or a new era of peace. See, the gospel is essentially good news. Amen? Amen. And it's not just good advice. Yeah, (laughs) we don't need more of that, do we? We need good news because advice is something that when you hear it, you've got to go do it. I don't want to do that. (laughs) I want good news. Good news is something that's already happened, amen? It's something that's already happened. The gospel doesn't say, here's something you need to do. That's not the gospel, the gospel tells us about someone who's already done it for us, amen? Someone who's already done it for us. Christ has already accomplished your salvation on the cross, on the cross. I really like Simon, Simon Gaither Cole's summation of the gospel. And, and I've had a fun time reading through lots and lots of people's you know, summation of the gospel. And, and it's hard to do, right? Because if you think about it, <clears throat> we've got four Gospels in the Bible, all of which are the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Matthew. I mean, we have lots and lots of material to draw from when it comes to the Gospel. Really, the whole Bible itself is the Gospel, amen? But it's hard to surmise that succinctly into a small (laughs) paragraph, so I I think he does it really well, so I'm going to share this one. He says, Paul's good news was first that Jesus was the promised messianic king and son of God come to earth as a servant in human form. Second, by his death and resurrection, Jesus atoned for our sin and secured our justification by grace, not by our works, and third, on the cross, Jesus broke the dominion of sin and evil. At, the, at his return, he will complete what he began by the renewal of the entire material creation and the resurrection of our bodies. Amen. In essence, and here's an even shorter version that maybe you can, you can remember. Uh, the gospel is that salvation is received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So salvation is received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, the importance of the gospel, let's just bring this together by looking at this in verses six through nine. It says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really what? No gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Boy, Paul's urgency and this letter is pretty evident, but so is his tone, <laughs> if you notice. <laughs> so he's pretty upset here. And, and it's really because the gospel itself is at stake. And the anger that Paul expresses is the same that any loving parent or friend would express if a child or companion was going seriously astray. He's mad because he knows anything else other than the gospel of Jesus is bondage. It's bondage, and he doesn't want them led away from Jesus. Notice the personal nature of Paul's warning and claim here. The Galatians aren't simply abandoning a concept. They haven't simply come to another conclusion about the gospel on merely an intellectual level. No, in fact, what the Galatians have done is abandon the very person who called them. They have rejected Christ. And he's saying, I can't believe you would leave him. Why would you leave him? You saw him. He called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. You're leaving grace. Don't leave grace. What's outside of grace? What's outside of grace? The consequences here couldn't be more serious. The Judaizers had told them that coming to Christ was not enough. They told the Galatians they needed to add certain ceremonial actions to their faith to be truly saved, but that's bondage. That's bondage. Paul was a Pharisee. Before Christ revealed himself to him Paul understood full and well what bondage these false teachers were putting the Galatians under. And having experienced deliverance himself from that performance-based faith, he wanted to save the Gentiles the heartache, and he wanted them to know and to walk in the freedom that they had in Christ. And then in verse seven, Paul says that any teaching which adds anything to faith in Christ perverts the gospel. Literally, the word he chooses here means to reverse the gospel. Another gospel is not another gospel. It's no gospel because it's no longer good news. So they're leaving Christ. They're depending on themselves again, and they've lost the gospel now, the good news. I mean, this is pretty serious. And And it's interesting here just how quickly this has all happened. He says, I'm astonished how quickly you are deserting the one who called you. You know, boy, there's one thing that is pretty apparent when we read the scriptures is just how quickly people forget, right? (laughs) The Israelites especially. How they move away from truth, from clear revelation. I think about it. God shows himself to Moses and to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. And within a couple days, the Jews are gathered around a golden calf and they're worshiping an idol. And maybe for you, maybe for you, the Lord has spoken to you about an area of your life and he's given you insight on the real state of your heart. And you've grieved over it you might have even repented and changed your mind about how you've seen it for so long. And, but how quickly we lose that truth of that insight and fall back into the same patterns again. I think we're all astonished, right? How quickly we can move away from the truth. Robert Robinson coined the hymn, the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And the famous line, oh, I love this line, prone to wonder, right? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. (laughs) What you might not know, though, is that years later, Robert did wander away from God. In a spiritually backslidden condition, Robert was traveling in a stagecoach one day, and his only companion was a young woman totally unknown to him, And in the providence of God, and not realizing who it was she was speaking with, the woman started humming what? Come thou fount of every blessing. And then started singing it, saying, oh, what an encouragement it had been to her. (laughs) And Try as he might, Robinson could not get her to change the subject. And she asked him what he thought about the hymn that she was humming, And he responded. He said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds, if I have them, to enjoy the feelings I had then. And gently she replied to him, Sir, the streams of mercy are ever flowing. And he was so deeply touched by that. As a result of the encounter, he actually repented and his fellowship with the Lord was restored through the ministry of his own hymn, <laughs> and the Christian and a Christian's willingness to witness to him. This tells us of our continual need to be reminded of the gospel of grace. Amen. Some of you here, you need to be reminded of the gospel of grace. It is not on you. It is on Jesus, and you are fully accepted when you follow him. It's because of him. So in closing, why does this all matter to us today? We've kind of touched on that already. Because people you know, people in this church, people in your family, are walking away from the gospel of grace because somebody has held out a different and alternative gospel to them. All around us, people are preaching other gospels continually. The gospel of upward mobility, of materialism, of careerism, of science, of sexuality, of identity politics, of the left or of the right, really whatever. I don't know if you've noticed, but they're not just preaching it, but culture is working hard to shove it down our throats. There are all sorts of other gospels on display right now. You see, all of us, religious or not, seeking serious disciples of Jesus or just nominal Christians, all of us base our lives on some kind of gospel, on some kind of message of life. What this life is actually about to us. Where do we put our hope for the present and the future to fulfill our longings and deepest desires for human flourishing? of our soul, and for society. To put it another way, who or what are you looking to for your salvation and for life? The gospel that you live in, whatever it is, is the gospel that you live out of. It is. The truth of the gospel is essential to experiencing freedom in this Christian life. It's not only the way to enter the kingdom of God, but it is the way to live as part of the kingdom of God. It is the way Christ transforms us as his people, as his church, and as the communities. It's how we become truly free. We are not saved by man-made gospels or by human reasoning or by our own efforts. We are saved by what? Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. There remains nothing for us to do except believe in his finished work on the cross. And as Jesus says, then come and follow me. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Well,